begin to talk about that and see, see where we go with this. Uh, there are actually 59 one another statements in the New Testament. And what I did many years ago, this is my favorite Bible amongst a few. I've had this for many years and I, I typed out, remember the days of a typewriter? Anybody remember a typewriter? Clack, 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 clack. And, well, I typed out a list of one another's and put it in the back of my Bible amongst the maps. And just to remind myself of these amazing truths, these amazing statements of be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, accept one another, instruct one another, serve one another, carry each other's burdens, bear with one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, and build each other up. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Confess your sins to, to one another. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Offer hospitality to one another. These are just a, a few of the 59. And, and I, I put them there just to remind myself of, of them and, and uh, as a point of reference, really, in my own, my own study and my, my own life, really. Um, and really, these come out of the overflow of our relationship with, with Jesus. And they, they, they do define who we are as, as a community and as family. These are principles of being family. And I always refer to the church as family. I, I like the feel of that word. And church, to me, does feel like family. And for some of us, it may be an extended family. For some of us, it may be the only family we have. But it is a family where we seek to put these, these one another's into practice. Nearly a third of the one another's, uh, 17 in fact, are actually about uh, encouraging us to love one another, as Judy spoke of last week. So that, that's really the basis of, of all of them, is working out our love for each other practically. Nearly a third of the one another's deal with the church getting along. It has to do with our unity and uh, stressing an attitude of humility and, and deference to one another. And, uh, and that's where uh, today's verse uh, kind of keys into that attitude of, of that we teach one another, that we're teachable, we, we're open to each other. We, f we uh, give each other permission to, uh, to speak into our lives. Uh, in the early church, one of the primary activities was one anothering one another. And so it actually speaks in acts of the church being of, of one heart and one mind as they, as they lived out their, their faith in Christ. Uh, and it wasn't just living it out individually, that's an aspect of it, but it was living it out corporately as a body. We are the body of Christ, the church, not just us here, but joined with, with believers all over the world. We, we are a church, we're a body of people, and, and, there, and we're reciprocal with each other. We, it isn't just loving ourselves, but it's loving other people, it's, and it's, it's one anothering one another. The book of uh, Colossians, just a brief overview, was written by the Apostle Paul, probably when he was in prison around the year uh, A.D. 60. And as with many of his other letters, the first part of it deals with theological issues, usually around the person and work of Christ. 
And Paul does this in Ephesians, he does it in Philippians, where he, he lays out a glorious theology of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then the second half of his epistles, his letters, because that's what they were, they were just penned letters, usually have to do with the outworking of that, the application in light of who Jesus is and his person, his work, therefore, how do we live? So we see that in, uh, in Colossians as well, and I'll just refer to, to some of these because there's, there's some glorious things spoken of here, and I'll just read a few of these passages speaking of the supremacy of Christ. And it's really important that everything we do, whatever we do in word or deed, whatever, whichever the one another's we seek to put into practice, that it comes out of our, our, our foundation and our fixed, firm belief in the, the person and the work of Jesus. So Paul says things like this. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Just the excellency, the supremacy of Christ. He says others, makes other statements like this. He says, uh, he says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. And in light of that, in light of the supremacy of Christ, how do we live? And Paul reminds us of the work of transformation in our lives. He makes statements like this. He says, uh, he says once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, uh, because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. And, and that truth goes alongside of the truth of, of who Jesus is. He, he makes another statement. He says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code which, with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it... Uh, he took it um, away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, the triumph of the cross and the implications for us. He says, therefore, in light of this, since you've then been risen with Christ, that reference there even to baptism, where, where our, our transformed life, where we die to our sinful nature and we're risen in, in the new life we have in Christ. Therefore, in light of this, set your affection, set your hearts on things above, not on things of the earth, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And, and that's to be where our affections, our, our focus is to be on. And uh, he says, in light of that, he says, as we do that, as we seek to live a heavenly life here on earth, which is a challenge, that's, that's our lifelong discipleship. He says, get rid of certain behaviors. Get rid of the things that, uh, the, the, uh, the, um, the things that entangle, the sin that so easily besets us. Get rid of those things. Cast them off, he says. He says, uh, uh, put, on, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He says, uh, 
that you must rid yourselves of all, th- all the things such as these, anger and rage and malice. And he says, get rid of these things. Then he says, clothe yourselves, put on. And he mentions five graces. He says, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And we could say that those are qualities of Jesus himself. Put those on, clothe yourselves as, as putting on a cloak. And those are the things we, we, we put on. We, we put away certain things, we put on certain things. And that's the transformed life. And then uh, he goes on into this passage here about, about uh, letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Uh, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the word of Christ, uh, it, it could mean actual, the actual words of Jesus, maybe the Sermon on the Mount, the, the red letters in your Bible that are the spoken words of Jesus. But most likely, he's referring here to, to, the, to the message of Jesus, the, the message that centers around Christ. And I often think, as I've, I've been a Christian for many years and read through the Bible, and in some senses, I've changed in my thinking with certain things, things that maybe were, were black and white to me 40 years ago. There are more gray areas now. And I, I try to discern, well, what are the essentials of my faith? What are the things that, are, that, that I, can, I, can, uh, I can agree to disagree with people? And what are the, the non-negotiables in my life? regarding my faith. And, and I've come, for myself, I've come to, to five things that are actually non-negotiables for me. They have to do with the virgin birth of Jesus. They have to do with the life of Jesus. They have to do with the, um, the, the death of Jesus on the cross for my sins, the resurrection of Jesus, his victory over death, and his ascension. And those five things are non-negotiables. Now, you could add to them, maybe theologically, you might add the, the pre-existence of Christ as part of the Godhead, or you might add the, the, the coming, the return of Christ, the return of Christ, the, the future hope that we have. But those five things form the basis of what I call my non-negotiables. And it's good to know what our non-negotiables are because there are other passages of scripture that I feel are, are negotiable about whether women wear head coverings or don't wear head coverings. Or whether, whether because some churches believe very strongly that, that women must wear head coverings, as it refers to in, in one of Paul's letters to Timothy. Uh, some people feel that certain forms of church government are, are non-negotiable. It has to be this way, elders and deacons or, or whatever, and however they're defined. And I feel those things are negotiable. We have, we have wiggle room with those things. And in and, and a lot of Paul's letters, there is some wiggle room. Um, but we mustn't ever, ever uh, compromise the non-negotiables that we have of, of the person and the work of Christ. And that is what our faith is built on. And that's what the one and others are rooted in. And the outworking of them is, is that faith in Christ, that, that immutable faith in Christ uh, works itself out in these one and others. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, I've had a relationship with the Bible ever since I, was, uh, I first gave my life to Christ on the 23rd of December, 1973. I remember the day, sadly. Some people don't. Some people, it's more of a process. For me, it was a day, it was a moment when I bowed my heart and prayed a prayer in faith uh, 
inviting Jesus into my life. And, and I was given a Bible, and I began to read it voraciously and carried it with me. And, and uh, so I've, I've got this old Bible I've had for years that I mark up, I underline. I've got bits written in the passage. Pages are falling out. But it's like an old familiar friend to me. And I'm reminded of the view of Scripture that Paul had, where he said, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for these things, for teaching, for rebuking. It sounds quite harsh, but yes, Scripture can actually rebuke us and correct us at times for correcting and training in righteousness. So that is the place of Bible. So I, I have a high view of Scripture in that regard that I do believe it, it speaks into my life and has something to teach me in terms of how to live out my faith uh, day to day. One of my favorite scriptures is out of Psalm 119. And uh, I, love, I love the way it's expressed here. He says in verse uh, 9, How can a young man or woman keep his or her way pure? By living according to your word. That's the scripture. In those days, it would have been the Torah, the first five books, the law, the prophets. But by living according and seeking to put it into practice. I, I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart. What does that mean? I've hidden your word in my heart. What does that mean, do you think? Mm -hmm. To hide God's word. Memorize. Memorize, that's, that's one way of hiding it in our hearts. What's another way? Value it highly. Live it, Live it out, value it highly. Anybody else? How do we, how do we hide God's word in our heart? Meditating upon it, ruminating over it, yes? Can we also see it as protecting it? In, in what sense? That um, we don't allow other people to take it from us. We don't allow it to be stolen away from us? Okay, very good. Another way is, is as we've done this morning, it talks about, uh, we read the verses about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's a way of, of, of putting God's word in your heart. A lot of my memory of scripture has to do from a time when I was, newly, uh, I was newly a Christian and many of the songs were psalms put to music. And so I read them today. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, Psalm 48. Uh, other, other psalms, they were put to song and that way it was hidden in my heart. Music has a wonderful way of connecting to the heart in that way. I don't know if it's a certain part of the brain or whatever. I think people like her, and there are probably many in our community who um, hide God's word. Because I remember going to Pakistan one year, and uh, I knew I couldn't take uh, the Bible with me and anything Christian. Um, and but I, God was with me. Yeah. So yeah. I think there are many situations in the world. Yeah. And and amongst us here. As yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Week from somebody I know. Um, there are people who are fo effectively following Christ yes. and, and, and the teaching, yeah. um, but actually don't feel uh, safe, safe enough. Sometimes people are even nearer than they know in that sense, in terms of, of their understanding of God and God's working in their lives, as you say. 
hiding God's word in our hearts is very, very important that we, we develop a life in the word of God, in the Bible, that we begin to, to allow it to take root in our lives. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts, as Malcolm talked about, meditation. Uh, and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. So it's, it's not just a, a discipline, but it's a delight in, in, in God's word and what God has to say. And, and the fact that we, when we hide God's word in our hearts, when, it, when, it's, when it's within us, when we're living it out, then we do have something to teach one another and to model to each other, to show each other God's ways. And he says, finishes by saying, I will not neglect your word. It's very important that we, it's so easy, and I, I've done it at times, I, I wax and wane in terms of my reading, my study of the Bible, and, uh, and yet I'm reminded, I will not neglect your word, because it does speak into our lives. Uh, and of course, the idea is to be a doer of the word, not just to listen to it, but to do what it says. And one thing that was helpful to me uh, a number of years ago was in terms of how to read the Bible, somebody uh, taught me this, this, this um, what's it called when you have letters that are together? Uh, acronym. acronym, I was gonna say anagram, acronym. And it was O-I-A, it's observation. In other words, you read a scripture, he says, well, what does, it, what does it say? Just on the surface, what does it say? The second one is I for interpretation. What does it mean? It means digging a bit deeper into what that verse says. And then thirdly is A, application. How, what is there here for me to put into practice? So, so it's about what does the Bible uh, say? What does it mean? And how does it apply? And that's, that's one approach in terms of getting something out of reading the Bible and just beginning. If, if you read, read a passage every day, perhaps, just begin by saying, okay, God, what, what, does it, what does it say? What does it mean, digging a bit deeper? And sometimes you might want to study more widely around that. And then how does it apply? What is there here that I can put into practice today? Is there a one another that I can live out today and put into practice? And then he goes on to say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Admonish means to, to, uh, to caution or to, to advise uh, or even counsel against something. It's quite a strong word, admonish. Another way of saying that is teach and warn one another in a thoughtful and tactful manner with all wisdom, where it's appropriate. We don't want to blast people with scripture. We don't want to crush people with scripture. I've seen people do that sometimes and come out in a very heavy way with a scripture for somebody or, or even, even to a community to say, well, this is what the Bible says, and quite heavy and leaving people deflated, leaving people crushed. The word of God should encourage, even if it corrects, it should be in a positive, encouraging sort of way. Uh, and of course, teaching can take all kinds of forms. Uh, it, it, it can be um, as a a teacher and a student, or it can be, uh, it can be just by example. We can teach one another in our friendships. Uh, we can we can learn from books. Two of my favorite authors, what I've learned greatly from, one of them is Philip Yancey, who whose books have taught me about grace 
and uh, he wrote a book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And then he's, he's written other books about Jesus that has expanded my view of Jesus and that, that whole idea of grace and, and coming out of legalism. Another author that's, uh, that's taught me over the years is a man named Gordon MacDonald, who writes about restoring your spiritual passion and talking about running the race of, of the Christian life well over the course of a lifetime. And those, those people have impacted me as well as individuals have impacted me. There's people, even, even here, you have taught me. Various ones of you have taught me, have, have given me something that's actually bettered my understanding of God or, or bettered my life. And, and so we do, we do rub shoulders that way. It, 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 we do teach each other. It's good sometimes to, to remember and to think back and to reflect upon people in our lives who have influenced us. Who are the people who have, who have touched your life, who have modeled something of the Christian life for you, who have taught you something meaningful, something that's, that's been impactful or even transformed your life? Who are the people that have done that? Can you think, I'm not asking for names here, but can you think of a person or people who have done that, had that impact in your life, who have really taught you something of God and his kingdom, taught you something of Christ? And uh, it's good to reflect that. It's good to go back to those people and thank them. You know, maybe write a letter, or a phone call, or, or just to say, you know, you've actually impacted my life. You won't remember this, but the time you, and, and remember a, a situation. But there are all different ways that we learn. And of course, those who are teachers amongst us will, will talk about different learning styles and ways of, of learning. But uh, the fact is that as followers of Jesus, we are lifelong learners. As I think uh, Tim Chilver said one day, we have, we have L plates on our backs. That's the Christian life. It's, it's lifelong. We, we, we should always hunger to learn more of God and his ways and, and, and our understanding and application that we never stop from doing. We never quite arrive and get the degree and, and that's it. We've, we've stopped learning. But it is about being lifelong learners. And, and that's one of, one of the marks of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus, as a, we're, we're, we're learners, we're open and teachable. You know, we, we say, God, uh, you know, search me, teach me, Lord. Create in me a clean heart. Lord, I wanna learn of you. I want to be an imitator of God. I want to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Uh, and of course, the key to that is humility. That's the key to, to, having a, to being teachable, is being, saying, well, I don't know everything. I haven't got all the answers. I can learn something from every single person on this earth has something to, to teach me. I can learn something from everybody rather than saying, well, I'm, I've arrived and I, I don't need to learn anymore but having that open, teachable heart. It says in scripture, it says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. It says in, in Romans and in Philippians, Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's part of one anothering. It's out of that sense of humility and a teachable heart that we're open to each other. And, uh, and we don't easily take offense because there are times when we have to speak the truth in love. There are times when we have to admonish each other and correct each other in love. And it's easy to take the hump and be offended by that. And, 
or, or we, can, we can say thank you and I'll, I'll give that some thought, I'll pray about that, I'll get back to you or, or show me, how, wh- how can I change in that area? So sometimes the wounds of a friend are very faithful, that your best friend will tell you some home truths that, that you need to hear. And that's part of the admonishing, the teaching each other. It's a heart that's bowed before God. Psalm 25 says this, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. And that's a heart that's bowed before God, that's humbled before God, says, God, I'm open, I'm teachable for what you want to, to speak to me. If you're like me, most of the time you're, 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 your brain is hearing so many other messages and your ears are blocked and you're not really uh, in that place of listening to God. <clears throat> Pardon me, listening to God. But we need to, to learn that and learn to, to uh, not beat ourselves up over that, but just to say, well, God, you know, make my heart more inclined to you, Lord. Uh, more bowed to you, more ready to listen to what you'd have to say, even through your creation, even through your word, even through your people. Teach me, O oh God. So uh, I want to finish with a story, really. And it's a story I told about three years ago. And I tell it again because I feel, number one, it's relevant, and number two, it's, it's a poignant story. It's a personal story. And uh, you may remember it. If you're new, you won't remember it. So it's for your benefit, perhaps, I tell this story. But uh, my father died about, well, he died 30 years ago uh, this year. And um, his life, uh, if you were to to track the trajectory of his life, there were many ups and many downs, some severe downs, which I'll I'll mention later. But after he died, my mother gave me a, a little pocket New Testament that had been his. In fact, it's got his name printed on the front. And it was well-worn and, uh, you know, it was obviously a treasure to him. He had kept it for many, many years. But what, 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 uh, what struck me was what's written inside because this was given to him by a teacher he had when he was 14 years old. So never, never underestimate the influence, if you're a teacher in the teaching profession, the influence that you can have on a young man or woman. It was written on May 22nd, 1928, when my father was 14 years old. He says, Dear Dougal, I didn't know that was his name. He's, to me, it was always Douglas or Doug. I never knew that people called him Dougal, but they did in those days. Maybe that's an old thing. And, and listen to this inscription, because this is really, really uh, relevant. He says, Dear Dougal, you will find here the story of a life which was the most beautiful and heroic the world has ever known. And you will find in the words of Jesus a guide, help, and inspiration which nothing else in this world can equal. Therefore, uh, or he says, he says, I know of nothing that can help a fellow on his way more than the life and words of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I give you this little book in token of friendship. So this, this teacher, Richard Wiernum, uh, had a heart for my father. And I think my father was a bit of a lad in those days. I don't think he was an easy character. I think he was, had a mind of his own and 
probably wasn't the best student, and, uh, but this teacher had a heart for him and gave him this New Testament of a life that was the most beautiful and heroic the world has ever known, that the words of Christ might be a guide and a help and an inspiration to my father. My father kept this book, but as far as I know, it's like new on the inside. He never cracked it. Never cracked it. It's brand new on the inside. He treasured it as a token of friendship from his, from his teacher, but he didn't live in the good of it. And I think that's the tragedy. That's where I referred to, to Psalm 119, where he says, I will not neglect your word. That my father neglected it. And uh, you might say to his peril, he, he, he was, uh, there was a third generation manufacturing business in the family that my father took on and he was very successful for a number of years. And then at the age of 55, his world caved in as the business went bankrupt and my father lost everything. Lost home, lost everything. From being a very successful businessman to having nothing, to being on the bottom of the pile. And the last 20 years of his life, he lived as a broken man. He lived as a shadow of the man that he had once been. And then he, he, he passed away. And I think the tragedy is that I don't think he ever lived in the good, good of what his teacher had taught him. That the, the words of Jesus would be a guide and a help and an inspiration to him in the good times and in the difficult times. And uh, so it's, it's really a, a kind of poignant... Um, admonition to me as his son to live in the good of, the, of God's word, to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, to be open to being taught by God and by other people, be open to be admonished by God and by other people, and thereby be, be blessed in God in doing so. As it says in James, and I'll just finish with this, uh, what the, the, the way James puts this, um, in James chapter one, he says, do not merely listen to the word and uh, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man or woman who, hold, who looks at his face in a woman, in, in, a, in a mirror, rather, and after looking at himself, uh, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that's the, the, the scriptures, the, the word of God that gives freedom and continues to do so, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And I want to be that blessed man in, in the good times and the difficult times. It doesn't mean that you live a trouble-free life by any means, but it means that God is with you, that his word hidden in our hearts is with us, and that we're open and teachable to whatever God wants to teach us through whatever stage of life we're in.